Seated. Well, good morning. Good morning. As always, it is a great privilege to be able to meet together with the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and to know that He, that is Christ, is our one foundation and that we are His special possession. The Bible uses many metaphors and phrases to describe how precious and unique the church is in relation to God. It uses phrases such as, we are the body of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. We are the household or the temple of the living God. We are the flock of the great shepherd. We are a royal priesthood to our God. We are a holy nation of which Christ is king. And we, brothers and sisters, are the very family of God, having Christ as our brother and God as our father. To sum it up, we are the covenant people of God, and as a result of the love, the wisdom, the faithfulness of God, and the perfect work of Christ on our behalf and the Spirit's application of that work, God is pleased to dwell with us as our God and to take us as His people. So, beloved, my prayer is that you would understand, that you would grasp and comprehend how blessed you are to be numbered among the very people of God. You see, God is the sovereign creator and sustainer of all that is. He is sovereign over heaven and earth and hell. And the one true living God is not like the deist conception of Him, he is not one who created and then simply lets His creation govern itself. No, the one true living God is he's sovereignly is in control, He governs, He upholds, and He directs all things according to the counsel of His own will. This is what we call the doctrine of divine providence. And His divine providence extends, as our confession will say, to all creatures. And so He is providentially governing all of His creation. No creature is outside the providence of God. And yet our confession makes a remarkable statement. And it's very important for us to grasp. It says, As the providence of God doth in general reach to all creatures, yet, after a most special manner, it taketh care of His church and disposes all things to the good thereof. And so we see here that the church occupies a special place in the heart of God and in the divine purposes of God. And we know that for those who love God and are called according to His purpose, He works all things together for their good. Now, who does that describe? Who is it that loves God and are the called according to His purpose? Is it not the church of the Lord Jesus Christ? And so because the church has such a special and essential role in the very mission of Christ for the good of His people... It is of utmost importance that the local church be ordered and organized according to the very mind of Christ who is her head. And so this leads me to the importance of what we will be engaging in today by God's grace. The mind of Christ with regards to the proper ordering and organization of the church is that the church should consist of officers and members and the two offices are that of elder and deacon. We must understand that as a church, that Christ has so organized His church in this way with officers and members and those officers being elders and deacons 
for our good. And not only has he revealed what the offices of the church are and what their specific roles and functions are, he has also given the church the means by which to recognize the men that Christ himself has appointed. Now I know that's a lot to, to digest in a, in a couple sentences, but in other words, we must understand that the offices are given to us as a church. They're given to us as a, as a gift from Christ Himself. We have to understand that they're a gift from Christ Himself. And further, He has given us direction on how to recognize these gifts and ensure that these gifts are being utilized properly for the good of God's people. So God has given us this, these gifts of the offices. He's given us the ability to recognize who He has appointed to hold these offices. And He's given us the ability to recognize that these offices are given for our good. And therefore we should be thankful for the divinely appointed order of the church because it is to recognize that Christ is the head of the church and that He loves us and cares for us. And so that's what we have the great privilege of doing today. Today we formally recognize and receive two gifts that the ascended and reigning Christ has given to us. And those two gifts are brothers Ryan Ellenwood and Brother Rick Miller. These two men will be ordained today to the office of deacon at Emmanuel Baptist Church. And this is both a solemn and a joyful occasion. It is solemn because what we are doing has impact on the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is joyful because we recognize it as a gift from our Savior for the good of our souls. And so with this in mind, let us take a moment to thank God and ask Him for His blessings. Holy Father, You have given us Your Son, Jesus Christ, to be head over all things to the church. Father, I ask that You give us great joy today in recognizing Your loving providence and goodness to Your church. But also help us to realize the seriousness of what we are engaging in. Lord, we have prayed that you would raise up men fitted and gifted by the Holy Spirit for the office of deacon. Father, your people have been praying for a long time for this. Father, you have answered our prayer. You have done that very thing. And so we would be wrong to not give you thanks for that. So we thank you for your goodness to us. We don't deserve this kindness from your hand. Yet, Father, you have made a covenant promise to do your people good. And you rejoice to do so. Help us to just to be able to comprehend with all the saints the height, the depth, the breadth, and the length of your love for us in Christ Jesus. Father, I especially pray for Ryan and Rick that you bless these men Strengthen these men. Grant these men to be filled with your Holy Spirit to do the work that you have called them to do. I pray that you grant us as a church wisdom and obedience to seek to order ourselves according to the mind of Christ who is the head of the church. And it's in His name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, if you would at this time, please open up the Word of God to the book of Titus. 
And let's turn to Titus chapter 1, and let's look at verse number 5. <clears throat> Titus 1, verse 5. He states, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And so, in Paul's letter to Titus, he instructed Titus to put what remained into order. And so no doubt, Paul and Titus had served together in Crete, and as a result of the evangelistic ministry of Paul and Titus and others, disciples were made. But we see that the making of disciples was only part of the work that must be done. Here we see the biblical mandate for the way missions are to be done. The end goal of missions is not just making disciples, but organizing those disciples into local churches, which function according to the mind of Christ as revealed by His Word. And so Paul left Titus in Crete to do the work of making sure that the disciples in Crete were being formed into healthy, functioning New Testament churches. And the way that Titus is to do this is by appointing elders in every town. Now, although the office of deacon is not mentioned here, we see the principle for established offices in the church if the church is to function according to the mind of Christ. Now, of course, in Paul's first letter to Timothy, which we read earlier, we see very clearly that a healthy functioning church has more than just the office of elder. As he gives Timothy instructions on how a church is to function, he gives detailed instructions on the qualifications for men who would serve in the office of elder and the office of deacon. And so what we see here in, first, in Titus 1 is the, is the understanding that the church has a divinely appointed order and that God has given offices to the church for the church to function according to the mind of Christ. And so the first point I want to make is this. We believe that the Word of God reveals that the mind of Christ with regards to the organization of His church is that the church has two distinct offices given by Christ for the good of His church. Those two offices are the office of elder and the office of deacon. Now I want to begin by sharing with you a few truths regarding the office of elder. Now of course this sermon is not about the office of elder in particular, but if we're going to understand the deacon's function in the church, it is important that we talk about the other office that the deacons will be working with and under. So I want to begin by describing the office of elder by using three biblical words or descriptive analogies that the Word of God uses to describe this office. The first word is the word in Greek, episkopē, sometimes translated as bishop. Uh, the ESV translation translates the word as overseer. And this word literally means charge or oversight or presiding officer. It's used in passages like 1 Timothy 3, Philippians 1, 1 Peter 2. So the office of elder is a ruling office in the church. 1 Timothy 5.17 says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. So the first word is episcopate, where we get the word overseer from. The second word is presbyteros. And this word is translated as elder. It literally means aged or gray-headed or bearded one. 
It is used to define an office of leadership in the church and it, denote, and it denotes one who is mature and worthy of respect. It is used in passages like Titus 1 that we just read, James chapter 5, and 1 Peter 5. And so the first word is overseer and the second word is elder. And the third word in Greek is the word poimen. And this is where we get our word pastor from. It literally means a shepherd. It is used in passages like Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, and in John 10, verses 11 through 16. In John 21, 16, it gives us a good idea of what is meant by the term pastor. There Jesus tells Peter to feed or to tend my sheep. And so this office is an office described by one who is to feed and care for the sheep, for the flock of God, for the people of God. This time, if you would, please turn with me to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. And here we have a very interesting passage where we see all three of these words being used to describe the office of elder. Acts chapter 20, we'll look at verses 17 and verse 28. Verse 17 says, Now from... Uh, Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders, there's our word presbyteros, there's our word elder, of the church to come to him. So he's calling elders, those who hold this office in the church, and they're called elders, presbyteros. Drop down to verse 28. Now he's, as he's speaking to these elders, he says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. There's our word episcopate. Overseers. To care. There's our word poimane. To care or to pastor the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. And so here we see in, in one place all three of these descriptive analogies or descriptive words to describe this office of elder. Now we've made the point that these are the three primary words used to describe this office, but we must make it clear that these three words refer to one office. It's not defining three different offices, but various aspects of the one office of elder. And so the word overseer, the title overseer, emphasizes what a minister is to do. He is to oversee or to rule the congregation. Secondly, the word or, um, or the term elder emphasizes who a minister is. He is a mature man, worthy of respect, who is a leader in the congregation. And third word is pastor. And this word emphasizes how a minister is to minister. He cares for the church of God, which Christ obtained with his own blood. And so we see that an elder is to be an overseer, he is to rule over the church, he is to be an elder, in that he is to be a mature man, mature in the faith, worthy of respect in the congregation. And thirdly, he is to pastor, he is to shepherd, he is to care for the flock of God. Next, here at EBC, we believe in the plurality, parity, and diversity of the eldership of the church. So I want to break down each of those three words for you. First, the word plurality. We believe that if possible, and the biblical norm, is to have a plurality of elders. That is, meaning more than one elder. Now, it's not wrong for a church to have only one elder, but it's not the biblical norm and not the ideal for the proper ordering and functioning of 
a local church. Secondly, the word parity. This means that we believe that all the elders in the eldership are equal. And so in our elders' meetings, we sit at a round table, figuratively speaking. We don't divide ourselves into senior pastor, associate pastor, etc. Now this doesn't mean that we can't divide up uh, the oversight of the church among ourselves and have one elder over a particular area in a certain way. But it does mean that all the elders are equal in office. And so some churches may distinguish between what they call teaching elders and ruling elders. And others may have one elder who's called a pastor, that is, he is the teaching elder, and other who are called the ruling elders. But we don't believe that is right. We believe that all elders are both ruling and teaching elders because both are necessary aspects of what it means to be an elder. An elder is an overseer. He is a pastor teacher, and he is an elder. All elders are that. However, this doesn't necessarily mean that every elder will teach publicly as much as the next elder does. But it does mean that each elder is qualified to do so and should be engaging in the labor of preaching and teaching. And this leads us to a third belief we have about the office of elder. And that is the word diversity. We believe that although all elders must be biblically qualified, it doesn't mean that God doesn't give greater gifts in certain areas to certain men. One elder may be more gifted in teaching than the others and naturally do more of the public teaching ministry of the church. Another elder may be more gifted in counseling and may handle more of that aspect. Another elder may be especially gifted in administration and thinking through tough issues in the church and therefore may take the lead on matters that are behind the scenes but are of great importance for the health and direction of the church. But all elders are qualified in each of these aspects and will be involved in the oversight of the whole of the life of the church. Now, these three aspects, parity, plurality, and diversity, they're important for us to remember concerning the office of elder, but they're also important for you, Brother Ryan, and for you, Brother Rick, as you consider the office of deacon. These three terms apply to your office as well. We believe for the proper function of a church that it is best to have a plurality of deacons. We also believe that it is necessary that our deacons understand that among the deacons there is a parity, there is an equality. We don't have head deacons. We don't have one deacon who's over the other deacons. All deacons are equally qualified as deacons. But we also understand that there's going to be diversity among the deacon board. And so we understand that there will be varying gifts among your brothers. And that's, that's good, and you should use those to the best of your ability for the well-being of the church. But understand that, that we believe there should be a plurality if possible, that there's parity among the deacons, and that you should use your diversified gifts for the good of the church. Now moving back to the office of elder. What is the primary work of pastors? Well, according to Acts chapter 6, verse 4, the answer is as follows. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And so, two primary categories, prayer and the ministry of the Word. So, prayer. Pastors are to be men given to prayer. As pastors, we are engaged in a work that is dependent upon the grace of God. We are engaged in, in a work that's impossible in the strength of man. We need the very grace of God. We need the very Holy Spirit to bless 
if our work is to succeed. Further, we are to be men who regularly pray for the well-being of your souls. We must be watching out for your souls as a congregation and constantly pleading with God on your behalf. That is the work of the pastor. Secondly, the work of pastors is the ministry of the Word. And I want to briefly uh, talk about five aspects of the ministry of the Word. First, if we're going to be ministers of the Word, we must know the Word. In order to know the Word, we must be those who are committed to the study of the Word of God. And so your pastors are to devote themselves to studying God's Word. Secondly, we are to be devoted to the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God. That is both in the formal uh, means of grace of the proclamation of the gospel and preaching, but also in, in Bible studies and small groups and, and, and other areas. We are to be men devoted to preaching and teaching the Word of God. Third, we are to be men who are devoted to counseling and discipling the Word of God. As we pastor, shepherd, and care for the flock, we are to counsel them and disciple them with the Word of God. Fourth, we are to administer the ordinances or the sacraments, which are visible representations of the Word of God. We are to, to devote ourselves to this. And fifth, we are to oversee or rule according to the Word of God. And so pastors are to be men who rule or govern the church well with wisdom, gentleness, courage, and commitment to the Word of God as our guide in all things. And this overseeing and ruling also includes matters such as church discipline. We are to discipline according to the Word of God for the good of your souls. So it is these tasks that your elders here at EBC have, are to be devoted to, for the glory of God and the well-being of your souls. And thus, we come to the need for deacons. So now let us turn our attention to the office of deacon. Now I want to examine the scriptural office of deacon this morning with, with you under three headings. The first being its actual existence. Secondly, its distinctive identity. And thirdly, its necessary qualifications. So first, it's actual existence. The first truth that we must establish is this. Is there such a thing as an office of deacon? Does it actually exist? There's many church titles in our day, such as senior pastor, youth pastor, Sunday school superintendent, um, etc. You can multiply those infinitely, probably. But these particular Quote, offices or titles, they're commonplace, but you will not find warrant in Scripture for any of those particular offices or titles. Is the same true for the office of deacon? Is there biblical warrant for this office? Well, if you would, please turn in the book of Acts to chapter 6. Acts chapter 6, and we're going to read together verses 1 through 7. God's word. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, 
it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, and they set before the apostles, <clears throat> these they set before the apostles, and they prayed, and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and the great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Now I want you to notice a couple of verses here. Or notice one thing about this, uh, this passage. Do you see the word deacon in this passage? This is the, the classic passage that we go to to describe the, the formation of this office of deacon, but we do not see the word in English, the word deacon in this passage. And so the actual noun that may be translated deacon is not found in these verses, but the related verb to deacon is found. Where do you think that verse that, that word is found? You notice, look at verse 2. Serve. At the end of that, yes, yeah, serve. So at the end of that verse it says to serve tables. There's our word, there's our verb, to deacon, to serve tables. Also, the related noun which may be translated deaconing is found in verses 1 and verse 4. Can you identify which words in these verses are forms of the word deacon? Well, in verse 1, the word there is distribution. That's a Greek form of, of, a, of a noun to deacon. And then verse number 4, where do you think that uh, the word deacon is used there? Ministry. So we will devote ourselves in prayer to the ministry, to the diakonos of the word. And so we see here that although the, the, the noun that is translated in English deacon is not used, the concept of, of this office is very clearly shown to us in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Another place we see this is in Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. And I'll, I'll read that so you don't have to turn there. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. And so here we see that the office of deacon was assumed. Obviously the church at Philippi had deacons, right? He addresses it to the elders, to the, to the overseers, and to the deacons. It is clear that they are referred to in the form of an office alongside with the office of elders. Thus we can rightly assume and deduce that the local church there was organized with a defined membership and defined offices. The defined membership is shown in that the letter was addressed to who? To the saints, that is the membership of the church. There's, and, and also the defined offices are shown in that it is addressed to overseers and to deacons. And then one further uh, passage is 1 Timothy 3 verses 8 through 13, which was read in our scripture reading. And this is perhaps the, the clearest scriptural warrant for the office of deacon. Because here we see the specified qualifications of the office of deacon were not just for an, an occasional office. It was to be raised up in every local church. And so thus Paul gives the necessary qualifications that men had to meet in order to hold that office. 
And so it wasn't just an occasional office. It wasn't just that the church in Jerusalem had a specific issue and so they had to raise up a temporary office to solve that issue. Okay, Yes, they raised up an office to solve that issue, but we see throughout the rest of the New Testament that this was not an occasional office, but an office that is to be raised up in every local church according to the mind of Christ. And so from these passages, we can confidently assert that the office of deacon is warranted by Scripture and thus is according to the mind of Christ for a properly organized church. So, first point was its actual existence. I think we can um, confidently declare that, yes, the office of deacon is a scriptural office. Second, its distinctive identity. In order to understand the distinctive identity of the office of deacon, we must, under, we must understand the descriptive analogy that is used to describe the office. Now, what do I mean by descriptive analogy? Well, for the office of elder, we looked at three descriptive analogies. Overseer, elder, and pastor. And so for the office of deacon, we see that there is but one primary descriptive analogy given. It is found in the meaning of the word deacon, the Greek word diakonos. Let's look at a few passages that this word is used. And we'll see that these passages... Um, they're very instructive with regard to the meaning of the descriptive analogy for this office. First passage is John 2, verse 5. There he says, His mother said to the servants, uses that word in Greek, do whatever he tells you. In Luke 10, verse 40, But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? So we see the word used again. John 12, 2. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. So we see the word again. Martha served. Matthew 25, 44. They will also answer, saying, Lord, when do we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? So we see the word again. Minister, serve. And of course, we've been, we looked at Acts chapter 6, verse 2 which states that it is not right that we should give up preaching the Word of God to serve tables. And so the descriptive analogy is this. A deacon is to be to the church what a table servant is to the home. It is the office of being a waiter at church tables. That's, that's, the, that's the descriptive analogy used for this office. Now obviously there is a literal and figurative meaning attached here. For example, pastors are to feed the sheep, right? Does this mean that our, as pastors our job is to cook actual feed, food and, and bring it to y'all and feed it to y'all? Of course not. We understand it's a figurative word there being used, right? And so this means that the deacon's job is, is not to literally bring food necessarily or clean up after church meals necessarily, although they may do those things. It is a descriptive analogy to a much larger work within the context of the local church. So understanding this descriptive analogy given for the office of deacon allows us to clearly see how the office of deacon is a distinct office from that of elder. Now you remember the, the descriptive analogies for the office of elder. Overseer, elder, pastor. The clear differentiation between the offices of elder and deacon is this. The office of elder is a ruling and teaching office, while the office of deacon is a serving office. Sam Walden writes the following. He says, 
Now granted, in a certain sense, elders are to be servants, and deacons have a certain administrative authority in the church. But do not let questions about these things obscure the obvious emphasis of the contrasting descriptive analogies for the two offices. Clearly, it is biblical to say that deacons serve and elders rule and teach. Now, it is these two overarching functions of the office of elder that in particular differentiate the two offices of elder and deacon. First, there is a difference as to teaching. We see back in Acts chapter 6, there is a distinction to be made between serving tables and serving the Word of God. There's a distinction there, right? The task of the twelve was to do what? To serve the Word. And the task of the seven was to serve tables. Also in 1 Timothy 3, in the list of qualifications, it is apparent that an elder must be able to teach, whereas this is not a requirement for the office of deacon. Now, of course, a lot of people's minds will go to, well, what about Stephen and what about Philip, who were part of the first seven deacons? It's clear that they became teachers. However, it's important to note this was not a requirement of their office. A deacon may teach if he has the requisite gifts for the office, but this does not mean, or requisite gifts for teaching, but this does not mean that teaching is a required function of that office. Also, an elder is free to serve tables as long as it doesn't keep him from fulfilling his required office. Therefore, a deacon is free to teach as long as it doesn't keep him from fulfilling his required office. And I state that because I think it's very practical for us to understand. We, we all know that Brother Ryan teaches on occasion. Okay? So just because he's teaching doesn't mean that he's not operating in the, in, uh, properly in his function as a deacon. Okay? So I want you all to understand that. That's why I make that point. Second, there is a clear difference as to ruling. The deacons are not the rulers of the church. And so some of you with maybe some Southern Baptist background, I might repeat that once again. The deacons are not the rulers of the church. This is clear from the dominant descriptive analogies of each office. Elders are described as rulers and deacons as servants. When elders are described as servants, they are described as stewards. This word refers to one who is in charge of running a household Deacons, on the other hand, are table servants. That is, a more lowly form of household servant. This is clear from Acts 6, where we see that it was the twelve that put the seven in charge of the tables. They laying hands on the seven means that their authority was a delegated authority. So the authority that the deacons had was delegated to them by the elders in that order. It's also clear from the order of both Philippians 1.1 1, 1 and 1 Timothy 3 that the order is elder first and then deacon second. And then finally, this is clear from the supremacy of the Word of God in the church. It only makes sense that the office which has for its peculiar responsibility the teaching and ministry of the Word would be the ruling office. The Word rules the church. Hence, it is natural that the servants of the Word are its ruling officers. The deacons then may be described as the servants of the servants of the word. So we're all clear on that. So elders are the rulers of the church. Deacons are servants of the rulers of the church. 
Again, Sam Walton writes the following concerning the differentiation between elders and deacons. And he's very blunt here and very clear. He says, let me make this whole thing clear. Deacons are not elders. Deacons are not teachers. Deacons are not appointed as a kind of check and balance to the elders. Deacons do not have an authority that is coordinate with the elders. It is not that the elders and deacons are separate but equal with the elders over the spiritual matters and the deacons over the material issues. Deacons are none of these things. They are the servants of the church and the servants of the servants of the word. Well, now that we have seen the distinctive identity of the office of deacon, let us return back to Acts chapter 6 where I think the word of God will reveal to us what the particular task of the office of deacon is. And so we've looked at its the actual existence of the office. We've looked at its distinction from the office of elder. Now let us look at its distinct task from the task that is given to the elder. Now we read Acts 6, verses 1 through 7 earlier. And this passage, of course, records for us the appointing of seven men to the office of deacon. Now what was the occasion or the issue that brought about the need to appoint the seven? Well, the issue was as follows. First, the regular care of the poor and widows in the Jerusalem church. Uh, well, that, that, was the, that was the issue. They, they were to provide care for the poor and the widows in the church. Okay? And that was a task that the church was tasked with doing. And there was an administrative breakdown, and therefore a particular group of widows were being neglected. We see that in, in uh, verse 1. The Hellenists, they, they, they're a complaint... Uh, by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Okay? So there was an administrative breakdown and a certain group of widows in the church was being neglected. So that's, that's our problem. That's our occasion. Because, of, because this was happening, the teachers, that is the apostles, were being distracted from their responsibilities because of this problem. Their responsibility was what? Prayer and the ministry of the Word. So they were being taken away from their responsibility to handle this issue of these widows not of these widows being neglected. The third issue, and this is probably the most serious issue here, the unity of the church was under attack. And so when the church is not operating decently and in order, and important issues get left undone and unattended to, not only do you have the problem of things not getting done, you also have the real threat of the unity of the church being undermined. So that's what is happening here. It's not just People are getting neglected. It's causing division in the church. And so it's a serious problem. And then fourthly, the problem is that the proclamation of the Word of God was being hindered. So that is the occasion that brought about the need for this office of deacon. And so it is in response to these four problems that we see the peculiar task of the office of deacon. So Brother Ryan and Brother Rick, I want you to listen closely to these four tasks. First, in response to problem number one, deacons are to be ministers of mercy to those in need in our church and in our community. Okay? So the problem was there were certain people being neglected, right? And so deacons' task is to be ministers of mercy to those who are in need in our church and in our community. And you are to be on the lookout for, for members of our church who are in need and to make sure they're taken care of. Secondly, to be servants of the servants of the Word, so 
So this is your task, to be, to be servants of the servants of the Word by freeing them up to devote themselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word. This is accomplished by task number one, being ministers of mercy and handling any matters that are delegated to them by the elders for the well-being of the church as a whole. Third, as the board of deacons serves well, it leads to members who are well taken care of, who are being ministered to thoroughly according to the mind of Christ, and this leads to unity within the body. And so your peculiar task as deacons is to promote unity in the body of Christ. And then fourth, as the board of deacons serves well, it leads to the elders being able to devote themselves to ruling and teaching, which leads to the increase of the Word of God and its accompanying fruits. And so your task is to lead to the increase of the Word of God. So Brother Ryan and Brother Rick, this is the task that the risen Christ is appointing you to here at Emmanuel Baptist Church. And this is the task that Emmanuel Baptist Church is ordaining you men to. Third, let's look at the necessary qualifications of the office. Well, so far we've looked at the actual existence of the office and we've looked at its distinctive identity and its peculiar task. And we have seen that the office of deacon is a real office revealed in Scripture and we have seen what the work of that office is. But that is not all that the Scriptures reveal concerning the office of deacon. In the same way that the Scriptures give the church the necessary qualifications that it must observe in a man for him to hold the office of elder, so the Scriptures give the church the necessary qualifications that we must observe in a man for him to hold the office of deacon. Now here I want to stop and make a point that it has been one of the great privileges of my life over the past six months or so to, to really see the necessary qualifications for the office of deacon exhibited in each of your lives. It's been a great blessing and encouragement to me. According to 1 Timothy 3 verse 10, you have been tested and you have proved yourself blameless. And I can say that you have proved yourself blameless with a clear conscience because I have the clear revelation of Scripture giving me objective standards by which to examine you. Further, I have the blessing of being in a plurality of elders. So it's not just me who has confidence that you are blameless. I have the confidence that Brother Pastor John and Pastor Thomas have also seen the same thing I've seen. And finally, we have the common, common suffrage or consent or vote of the church. That they have seen these things as well. And that gives me great confidence that you are in fact the men that Christ has appointed and given to this church. So for time's sake, I would just mention what I believe the Scripture reveals are the three categories of the necessary character qualifications that we believe you men have shown. First, a deacon must have irreproachable and time-tested Christian trustworthiness. This office requires that a man be above reproach and that his trustworthiness be that which has been tested and proven over time. And you brothers have shown this. Secondly, this office requires a manifested administrative ability. This office requires that you be fitted and gifted by the Holy Spirit with manifested administrative ability. We've seen this in you, brothers, as you've been serving. We are thankful for your gifts. And third, this category is you must be a one-woman man. 
This office requires sexual and moral uprightness and purity, as well as proven faithfulness and evident Christ-like love to your wife if you are married. You men have proved blameless and above reproach in this area. And we're thankful for you. We're thankful for this. Now I would add at this point that although we have seen that you have met these qualifications, you must remember that these qualifications are not just qualifications to enter into this office. They are also qualifications that, that you must exhibit to remain in this office. And so take seriously the holiness of Christ and the need for you to exhibit an ongoing and growing holiness as an officer in His church. Now I want to close with five general lessons that we can learn from the scriptural office of deacon. First, the scriptural office of deacon reveals to us that, that, that the local church is a divinely established institution. And of this institution, every Christian should be a member. And to this institution, every Christian owes his support and his covenant faithfulness to Secondly, it shows that there is a divinely mandated order for the local church to which every Christian must give his attention and his obedience. So it's a divinely established institution that all Christians are to be a part of and that divinely established institution has a divinely ordained and mandated order of which all the Christians in the church are to observe and give obedience to. Third general lesson. We learn the divinely ordained centrality of the ministry of the Word in the church. The office of deacon is a standing witness to this. Deacons exist because not even feeding hungry people, as important as that is, may be allowed to distract the pastors from the ministry of the Word. So we see divinely ordained centrality of the ministry of the Word in the church. Fourth, we see the indispensable duty of the church to care for its members in both the inward man and the outward man. That's especially evident in our confession on this chapter on the communion of the saints. That as a church body, we are to care for one another both in the inward man and the outward man. The whole man, we are to care for one another. And so the office of deacon is, is a clear example of God's desire for that to be done. And then fifthly, and this is, this is perhaps the most important. The Word of God must have first place. We learn that the way of salvation and the fountain of grace is not our good works, but the Word of God. And so, as important as doing good to the poor and needy is, it will not offer them salvation. Secondly, the fountain from which, good works, from which the good works of taking care of the poor and needy flows is the Word of God. The preaching of the gospel produces the love which does good unto all men, especially to the household of faith. And so if we're going to take care of each other well, what must come first is the preaching of the gospel. The gospel must go forth in power, the Holy Spirit must attend it, and people's hearts must be changed. They must be given new hearts that love the Lord Jesus Christ and desire to obey His commands. And it is people who have those kind of hearts, who have been saved, those are the people who will do good unto all men, especially to the household of the faith. And so the office of deacon is a clear testimony to the reality that this is the divinely ordained order of the church and the order of which, 
in, in which the church is to do the ministry. And so, brothers and sisters, we are blessed indeed to be a part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We should marvel at His wisdom and care for His church in giving the church the office of elder and the office of deacon. We should marvel at how God cares for His people through the ministry of the offices of elder and deacon by addressing both the inward man and the outward man. The Lord Jesus cares for us people. He loves us. He's demonstrated that perfectly because He came in with a perfect life. And He died a substitutionary death on our behalf. And He was raised on the third day whereby He was vindicated by God, declared righteous by God. And all those who are united to Him by faith are also vindicated, declared righteous, declared just by God. And so He's demonstrated His love supremely in that. But He's also demonstrated His love for us as His people in the order of which the church is to be ordered. In the giving of elders and the giving of deacons. And so do not underestimate Christ's love for you in these offices. Respect the offices. Understand how they work together for your good. So I want to end by giving a charge. Rick and Ryan... I charge you to fulfill the duties of this office in submission to the Word of God and to the divinely appointed order of the church. Further, I would remind you that if you would serve well and therefore gain a good standing for yourself, you must serve, you must serve with a heart motivated by love for Christ and love for His people. And so may the Lord bless you in that. And to Emmanuel Baptist Church, I charge you to pray for these men and pray for their wives, and be mindful of the divinely appointed order of the church. Be thankful for the wisdom and love of Christ, and be receptive to the ministry of the deacons of this church, understanding that they have delegated authority to serve you for your good. Brothers and sisters, it is a good thing to be a part of the, Lord, of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We do not deserve to be a part of this church. He has shown us grace that is beyond our wildest belief, beyond our comprehension. So I pray that you would have comprehension to understand that and to worship God and obey God appropriately because of it. Well, this time I'm going to pray and then after that I'm going to ask Pastor Thomas if you will come up and lead the next portion of our service. So let's pray. Holy Father, we do thank You that You have given Your Son, Jesus Christ, to be head over all things to the church. Lord, we thank You for Your great love for us. We thank You for the gift of salvation. We thank You for being delivered from the penalty of sin and power of sin and the promise that we will one day be delivered from even the, the presence and the possibility of sin. Father, we are also thankful that you have so instituted your church to be the place that your people gather to worship you 
and to be the very ordained means by which you cause your people to be built up in faith and in love and to persevere to the end. Father, forgive us if we have neglected your church. Give us humility to understand that we need your church. We need the means of grace. And Father, I do at this time thank you for giving us the gift of Brother Ryan and Brother Rick to serve in this office of deacon. Lord, I do pray you bless the further aspects of this worship service. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. process that has <clears throat> brought us to this place has been ongoing now for some time. As has been mentioned, there were uh, many public prayers, private prayers offered, and that over a period of months and years that God would grant and raise up among us uh, men that would serve as deacons in Emmanuel Baptist Church. Then we met with these brothers and we uh, spent time together in instruction and that went on for quite some time uh, then we the, the elders examined these men as to their qualifications being satisfied with all that they were presented to the church of course meanwhile the church had been praying for them and they had been taking on more and more responsibilities and we're very grateful for the work they have already done and anticipate their continuing work. But then the church uh, also confirmed uh, our belief, our examination, and your serving uh, among the church, uh, loving the people and, and working among the congregation. Now, we have come to this place because of that order that we went through, but now I have a couple of questions I want to ask you brothers, and then I want you to um, affirm this, and then afterward we'll, you'll be able to sign this document, and it will be witnessed. But concerning officers in Emmanuel Baptist Church, it is stated in our Constitution the officers of Emmanuel Baptist Church shall consist of elders and deacons approved by the church. Only such men shall be recommended or approved who believe in the inspiration and authority of the Holy Scriptures and conscientiously affirm, subscribe, uh, subscribe to and uphold the 1689 London Confession of Faith and the covenant constitution and bylaws of this church. Brothers Rick and Brother Ryan, do you believe in the inspiration and authority of the Holy Scriptures? I do. Do you affirm and fully subscribe to the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith? I do. And I know we have talked about perhaps some uh, points of uh, understanding in that. Do you affirm the covenant, constitution, and bylaws of the Emmanuel Baptist Church? Our Constitution continues to state that deacons are servants of the body and as such are to carry out 
and or oversee all areas of service defined by the scriptures or delegated to them by the elders. A primary purpose of the diaconate is to serve in order that the elders may devote themselves without distraction to their responsibilities. Deacons shall be men in full communion with the church, being sober in life, having a good reputation, and being able to comfort the oppressed. Deacons will be diligent and faithful in attendance at board of deacons meetings and at regular services of the church. They shall be watchful to assist the elders in every possible way. The ministry of mercy in our church and community is a special responsibility of the deacons. The board of deacons will see that the sick, the sorrowing, the aged, the mentally impaired, and others needing assistance receive spiritual and physical comfort. They will minister the Word of God, administer this church's benevolence funds, and give counsel to those in need of help. They will be on the lookout for opportunities to minister and serve, especially to those who are of the body of Christ. Brothers Ryan and Brother Rick, are you in agreement with these statements concerning the nature of your labors and, and of your character? Do you promise by God's grace to faithfully honor and discharge the duties of the deacon unto which this church has set you aside? I do. Brethren, will you please come and take seats up front? I'm going to ask the other elders to join me. We will lay our hands upon them and pray for them. We encourage the church, of course, to pray along silently as we pray for these men, thanking God for their uh, for His gift of these men, and also upon their labors of service.